1: Before the one who knows While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in him from the judgment that's to come. He is the shelter from the coming storm. shelter from the coming storm
2: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel We live in a time of great stress anger bitterness hardness of heart wickedness as we have never seen in our history. We need to hear the mind of God. We need to know what direction to go and what actions to take. We don't live in the day of Jesus. We don't live in the day of the apostles or the New Testament church. We live in the day of the Laodicea church. We live in the day of of deceit, and lies. We live in a day when the church has given itself over to entertainment. When the Holy Spirit left the church, they said, we've got to go be like the world. So they brought in the world's music. They brought in the strobe lights. They brought in the smoke machines. They had to do something to entertain the children who are adults, but act like kids. How do they keep their attention? So they went to entertainment. Bands and orchestras. There was a day when Charles Finney would go into a congregation. He would lead them in perhaps one song. He said, too much singing will cause them to lose all fear of God. It'll cause them to lose all conviction. And you might as well, preacher, just sit down and shut up because you're not going to do any good after 45 minutes of music. He was right. And that's where the church is today. I'm going to share a story with you today that I have shared some years ago, but I need to share it again. It's the story of a man by the name of G.C. Bevington. He was a holiness evangelist. He was out of the Methodist church. He ministered in Ohio and Kentucky in the early 1900s, 1920s. He's finishing up a meeting in Ohio. And there was a man in that meeting who came to him and said that he ought to hold a meeting down where he lived. So I read now, well, sir, where do you live? I live 22 miles from here. So I prayed about it and I felt somewhat inclined to give the matter further consideration I asked him for the names of the leaders, and he gave them to me. Then after the meeting closed, where I was in Ohio, I went to the woods to get the mind of God, and I was impressed to go. But I seemed to be running up against some pretty hard problems. I concluded to wait longer before God as to be definite and sure. I spent 48 hours finally praying 120 hours to get things straight from heaven. I tell you, it pays to know what you're doing when it comes to dealing with God or minding him. That's where the trouble is with so many. They jump at a conclusion They never go slow. Brother Knapp taught that nine times out of every ten, we get our impressions from Satan, so we need to wait and get still and get where God can actually talk to us. I want to stop a moment. In my experience, nine nine times out of ten, when I get an impression to do something, it's not God, it's the devil. And I've learned I can't jump. I have to say no. I'm going to wait. And I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray until God answers. And I'm not going to move until he answers with a very definite demonstration of his voice or his action or his will. Well, after the 120 hours of prayer, I want you to catch that. Have you ever prayed about something for a 120 hours? He's praying about going to a meeting where he needs the power of God to move. Well, he gave me assurance, Brother Bevington writes. After I'd gotten real still, free from everything else, he showed me the road that I was to take, and then a clump of trees and a road that was little-traveled, running off to the left and down to the schoolhouse, so that between the main road and this branch road was quite a a grove of small trees. The schoolhouse stood down a slope. Back of the schoolhouse was a creek, and back of that a large cornfield, and away back of that a large farmhouse, and a large barn, and outbuildings, and a windmill. I said, Amen, Lord. That's good enough for me. And so I got up and I went down to the house where I'd been staying and I told the family that I was ready to go. I got some dinner and started out on the 22-mile walk with two heavy suitcases filled mostly with books to sell. I, I walked until sundown and then stopped at a house and asked for a drink of water. I gave out some tracks I talked salvation to the man and told him where I was bound for. Well, we talked salvation until after dark. I got so interested in his soul and that of his wife, I didn't know whether I could stay there all night or not, but he said you stay with us tonight. The next morning he said Now now see here, you're going down there on uncertainties. I know that man you have to deal with he's a German Now, down the road, there's a church, but we have no Sunday school here and no services. If you'll stay here, I'll give you the best room in the house. You'll have all the time you want to pray. Give us a meeting and then go on to that other place, as you have no dates when you have to be there. Well, that looked pretty reasonable and seemed to be good logic. A great trap that Satan sets, and he gets lots of victims, too. Now, this was a case where it paid to pray through, as Satan would have stood a pretty good chance of sidetracking me if I'd not spent plain, definite time to get my orders out of 120 hours of prayer. I said to this man, I can't stop now. Maybe I can come back but he, knowing the obstacles and failures of the place where I was going, thought I ought to stay. But I went on. Now I gave out tracks all along the road at all the homes, and when I got within ten miles of the schoolhouse, I told the people where I was going. One woman said, as she looked very doubtful, oh i do wish you could get a meeting in a sunday school at that place as the people are getting desperate there they are so ungodly and so wicked that they just go to the woods saturday night play cards and gamble and drink beer and fight and have rooster fights until monday morning oh i wish i wish you could get a meeting started there but ah oh, how many times we get stuck On the butt. Well, I went on, and within four miles I stopped to get a drink. I gave out tracts and I told the family my mission. The woman sat down and said, Oh, I do hope that you can get something started, for they are so wicked down there, and their wickedness reaches all over the country. She said, You see that girl there in the garden? She's thirteen and my only living child. This summer, my husband goes every Saturday over to the rock house in the woods where they gamble and swear and chew and smoke and tell all sorts of dirty yarns. And he takes the girl with him to do the cooking, and she, being innocent of the danger, rather enjoys it. I've done everything I can do to prevent it, and have tried to get the neighbors to help break up that hellish work, but the men are all in on it. And they like to have my little girl down there to do the cooking for them. I become nearly distracted for they leave here about one o'clock Saturday and don't get back until Monday. Often they don't come back until Monday night and I have all the work with the livestock to do. Well, I went on praying and giving out tracts, but I I forgot to mention another place where they wanted me to stop and have a meeting at a forsaken Baptist church. These two opportunities proved to be important later. My burden increased as I journeyed on. I soon met a man and a wife and gave them some tracts. They asked my business, and when I told them, they shook their heads and went on. But they stopped and said, "'You better stir up some of the hollows, "'for I tell you that you'll be fooling away your time "'in that awful neighborhood.' "'I said, "'These are the ones that Jesus came for. "'Oh, yes, I know, but if if you knew what we know, "'you'd never stop there. "'There have been many attempts over there, "'but they've all failed, "'and they left the place worse off every time.' "'So I walked along, thinking and praying.' Oh, God, this is your work. What does it all mean? What's that to do with thee? Follow thou me was all the consolation I could get. Well, that was enough too. Hallelujah to his name. But this fellow wasn't satisfied. He turned around and overtook me and he said, Now over at the other side of the hollow where I live, we'll give you a good room and all you can eat. And there was a certainty, but up at the schoolhouse, there's a dark prospect. And if there is a place on earth that needs a meeting and a Sunday school, it's in our neighborhood. And we'll see that you get some money too. And you'll get none where you're aiming for. Well, you see, that was quite an inducement. But that wasn't where God sent me. So I thanked him for his kind offer, and I said, I may come back when I get through out there. He said, Oh, you'll be of no account when you get through, even if you can get out of there alive. But I had received my orders back there in the woods and preferred rather to mind God and run the chances than to accept this man's invitation. Soon I saw a faint road branching off to the left, and I was looking for that. I saw at once that this was the place. There was a diamond-shaped clump of trees, and this faint road ran down to the schoolhouse. Then I looked back of the schoolhouse, and there was the creek and the cornfield. And there was a large farmhouse way back and a large barn and the windmill. Well, I said, this must be the place. I went down through that clump of trees and tried the door of the schoolhouse, but it was locked. I went through the weeds higher than my head to the back of the schoolhouse and there I got down on my face and I praised God for landing me safe right at the spot he had showed me back there in the woods 22 miles away. Father, I said, I'm so thankful that I escaped those enemies that I encountered on the way who tried to get me off course. Oh, dear Lord, I said, I'm so glad that Thou made it possible for me to pray clear through and to get orders straight from heaven. I'm so glad that thou hast fixed me up that I'm perfectly willing to run the gauntlet though facing these muscular giants swinging their clubs, aiming to scare me off. Well, I lay there for some time praising God and thanking till at last the glory came down into my soul I had to get up and run. I left that spot about 10 a.m., I think, and stopped in the next house and gave out some tracks. I then inquired where Mr. R. lived. The woman said in the second house on the right. I thanked her, and I started on. Then she said, say, "'Aren't you a preacher?' I assured her, yes, ma'am. "'Well, are you going to hold a meeting in the schoolhouse?' "'I expect to,' I replied.' Oh, I do hope you can, but. There it was again, but. Well, I wasn't running on butts, so I went on. I soon saw the house and a large barn on the left, and I saw a great big fellow out in the truck patch cutting weeds as they'd had so much rain. He couldn't plow his corn. I set my suitcase down, and I said, good morning. He looked up and responded cordially. I said, is is this Mr. R? Well, yes, What of it. Well, I said, I'm a holiness evangelist. Before I could finish this statement, he'd straightened up on the, the hoe handle, and he said, a what? Why, a holiness evangelist. He repeated, and then he said, I've seen all sorts of evangelists, but I don't believe that I ever saw one by that name. Well, sir, just come out here and look a holiness evangelist right in the two eyes. He came out to the fence and he said, well, what do you want of me? Well, sir, I want to get in that schoolhouse that you've control of and hold some meetings and get someone saved and organize a Sunday school. Well, sir, I'd be delighted to unlock that door to let you get in there. "'for a good purpose, but, my dear sir, "'they've notified me from the wiggletail in the puddle "'to the giant on the throne "'that I'm not to unlock that door for preaching, "'as the benches are just about all whittled up. "'I'm sorry, but I can't unlock that door. "'Now I know my wife would be real glad "'and she would take hold and help. "'I'm of no account at that. "'But as it was about dinner time,' He said, let's go up and have some dinner. So we went. The wife felt so bad because John would not open the door. Nothing was said about his authority or power, but the meeting hinged on that door. And it was the all-important item the next nine days. Well, when dinner was over, he said to me, I was down at the mill three or four weeks ago and a friend, a trustee over there at the other Rode told me that they had just finished their new schoolhouse and that if I should run into a preacher to send him over, they'd like to have meetings over there and have a Sunday school started. So he let me out onto the porch and he said, The place is Pumpkin Hollow. He gave me directions for how I should go. So I picked up my suitcases and said, Pumpkin Hollow, eh? Yes, but that isn't what I'm after. So down the road I started, and I said, Well, Lord, where am I going? What's that to thee? Follow thou me, came my only answer. So I kept going and soon came to a hill, and a a long one on the right, when the voice said, The path is, is the way. So up that immense hill I started with my two heavy suitcases. Well, Lord, Where in the world am I going? What's that to thee? So, up I went, asking no more questions, and finally I reached the summit of the hill and dropped the suitcases under a large oak tree, and the same voice said, This is the place. Now I want to remind you that the hindrance to having the meeting was the locked door. So I just stayed under the tree nine days, and nine nights, I had nothing to eat. I didn't want anything. I got such a burden to get that door unlocked, for I knew that God had sent me there to hold a meeting. And now Satan was hindering. My business now was to pray that door open, as twould be no use to try to break it down and, and go off and give up. That would be disobeying God or disregarding his wish or his orders. You may ask, why did it take nine days to get an answer? Now, please, this is why I'm reading you this story. I want you to catch this. This has been a lesson very difficult for me to learn. I've been through a great deal of pain over this in my life. But I have obeyed the Lord, and he has answered. And this is what he told me to read to you today. It wasn't what I'd planned. It's what the Lord planned. He writes, Why did it take nine days to get an answer? Simply because I could not get still enough any sooner. After the first 24 hours, Satan came down and argued the situation. I had a conflict with him almost every day, and then he brought up Pumpkin Hollow as a much better place than where I was lying under the tree, telling me that the cold and the rain was going to cause me to be sick. It had rained three times while I was under that tree waiting to get the door opened. So it was one thing and then another for eight days and nights. So on the beginning of the ninth day, I began to see that I was getting still. And at the fifth hour of that day, I rose from off my face and held up the Bible, praising God that the door was to be opened and said, Now, Mr. Devil, if you have any more material, just bring it on. I had met every obligation, objection that he had offered with the word, and, sir, he could not rake up another possibility. So I dropped down again on my face, feeling sure that I was near the door's opening, and at noon I saw that I was actually getting still, how desirous I was to keep still. I did not want to breathe, and several times I held my breath until I had to pound my lungs to get breath, as so many times when getting so close to the object desired, I would hold my breath and would just be able to reach it, while at the same time, I would not and have have had some difficulty then getting my breath again. So I kept getting smaller and smaller, smaller and smile, smaller, until I saw myself as a little worm not over an inch long and began to say very softly, glory, glory. Now here's the problem. I'll come back to the story, but very quickly, here's the problem. We're much too busy and much too big for God to answer our problems. And so we'd rather put up with the stress. We'd rather put up with the difficulty. You need a new job? You're gonna have to get to Jesus. It may take you one hundred and twenty hours of prayer. You want your family healed, restored? It may take a hundred and twenty hours. On one occasion, it took me more than a month of laying on my face every day, waiting on God. I was too big for him to answer. The house had a eviction notice. The car had a repo order. I had no money. We were out of food. I finally said to the Lord, Lord, I've been here for a month, many hours every day. Now, I just want to tell you, Lord, that I'm going to die here waiting on your answer if you don't answer me. I'm just going to wait on you. And they're going to have to come and haul my body out And they're going to say, this is a man who wanted to trust God and do what he told him. And God didn't speak to him. So he died in the house and we've got to carry his body out. I tell you, God answered. And he delivered. He covered all of the back expenses. He did it all. Several times in my life, I have just laid before the Lord and said, Lord, I'm not going to move until you answer. If that takes a month, if that takes a year, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to teach. I'm not going to do anything until you answer me, mighty God. Because I have to have your mind. Your children are not behaving. Your children are... are not following Jesus? How many hours would you pray to have their hearts straightened out by the Lord? I'm doing this now. I've told the Lord I'm going to continue doing the radio as you've directed me. And I'm going to wait on you and I'm not going to do anything else. As long as you send the money, I'll do the radio. He said he would carry me through. He's carrying me through, but I'm praying for revival and I'm not going to take no for an answer because he's already told me he'd do it, but now I need it now and I'm getting smaller and smaller and smaller until I pray. I just totally disappear and only Jesus shows up. Make me that tiny little worm, Jesus. He's very small now in his own eyes. He's very softly saying, glory, glory, glory. He says, I repeated it and saw that I was not losing ground, but rather felt assured that victory was near. At 2.15 p.m. I was oh so still and said, now, Lord, Lord, Thou wilt open that door. Suddenly I heard with my ears a key in a lock and heard it turn and saw the door open and as it opened it left a circling mark where it rubbed on the floor. I said, Oh, glory, it's open! But I felt inasmuch as this meeting had been such a hard pull from the start back there in the hollow log that I had to do what Gideon had done. I asked for another witness. So I dropped to my face again and said, Now, Lord, thou didst twice answer Gideon. I know thou wilt answer me also. I settled down. I got small again. And in 15 minutes was as small as I'd been before. Five more minutes of prayer. I heard the same key go in that door. And I saw the mark on the floor. I jumped up and looked at my watch and saw that it was 25 minutes of three. I stood there praising God for the wonderful victory of nine days of conflict, picked up the suitcases and went down the hill. I saw Mr. R out in the truck patch again, and he saw me and hollowed, "'Well, well, how was Pumpkin Hollow?' I made no reply. He said, you had a good time, I guess. I've been having a fine time. Well, I knew you would. Well, we just got through dinner. Why don't you go on up to the house and get something to eat? So I went up and his wife said, oh, I'm so glad to see you. She said, well, we were eating dinner. John had to get up three times to answer the telephone people asking about a meeting. Now, please note that in the first place, I did my duty in giving out tracks all along the 22-mile trip, telling the people what I wanted. So God then had some foundation to work on. Now, I'm going to just say something as Pastor Ray. I've been doing this radio broadcast day after day after day. I have laid a foundation as God has directed me for revival to take place. And now I know he's going to do it. I don't know when. But I'm spending a lot of time on my face before him. This man said to his wife, Send my son, get Frank, 10 years old. Tell him to go back up there to Pumpkin Hollow and get that preacher. We're going to have to open the meeting. Well, after I'd done justice to a fine meal, Mr. R. gave me the key to go down and unlock the schoolhouse to air it. They would phone around and tell everyone there was a meeting that night. As I passed Mr. R. in the truck patch, he said, "Will you go down. There may be some women and children out tonight. We men folk. We're after the foxes as they've started killing off our chickens. So we met and organized a fox band. I was put in as captain. We've invested a lot of money in the hounds. We have about 20 fox hounds. We'll all go out, about 30 of us men, every night. So there will be no men at the meetings, but there will be some women and children, boys and girls. All right, Mr. R., I have the key. That's the main thing. I went down and, of course, was anxious to see that circling mark caused by the door that I'd seen in my prayer. As I unlocked the door and pushed it open, it rubbed on the floor, and it made the mark just as I had seen it twice. I said, Oh, glory to God! I just stood there and wept and laughed and shouted for about an hour. I had a blessed time rejoicing to know that God would take so much pain to show me so many things, all of which were to assure me of the right way. Well, I closed the door and I got down on my face behind a shoebox and I began to stampede on that organized fox club. I prayed for nothing else from four until 730, but stuck to that club of 30 unsaved men, souls for whom God sent his son. At 7.30, I heard quite a racket outside, the barking of hounds and and men talking. And I heard the captain say, Well, boys, let's go in and see what that fellow's doing. So they all dismounted, tied their 30 horses, and marched in about 7.45. I got up off my face. I shook hands with each one. And at the same time, I gave each one a nice new songbook and said, now let's have a few songs. Well, said the captain, we're not going to stay but just a few minutes. Well, what time? Well, what time you have, let's spend it singing. So I bowed my head and I asked the Lord, what song shall we sing first? As I felt that the whole thing hinged on that first song and the spirit of God said, Will there be any stars in my crown? Well, I was not very partial to that song for a lot of sinners, but dared not question the Lord. So I called for it, and the captain said, That's it exactly. It was what they all wanted. And I tell you, they did sing it out. I called on the captain to lead it, and he sang well and got wonderfully enthused about singing. Before the song was finished, the house was packed with people. So I called for another song. And that was also a great favorite to all of them. I gave out 75 songbooks. I even saw that the children had a songbook and how they all did sing. Well, listen, that song service in answer to prayer burst up that great fox club. I didn't get to preaching until 8.30 that night. I preached for 30 minutes and then had another song service holding the captain to lead. And I said, now, Captain, we want you to take charge of the singing and have all of your songs selected before church. And you can come here at 7 to meet me and we'll talk about them. Well, that suited them. So no more was said about the chicken thieves. Now, I won't tell all that occurred there, but the meeting lasted nine weeks. On the fourth night, the captain stepped out as I closed my message, and with tears in his eyes he said, Boys, we want and need this kind of salvation. Come on, let's have it. The entire group of thirty men came, and I tell you they went to praying. By twelve o'clock midnight the captain bound to his feet. He was the first to pray through and he did some wonderful jumping and shouting and he preached there to all the others as he walked back and forth those twenty-nine men weeping and praying until four a m three prayed through seven women had also come forward three of whom prayed through and the captain's wife was seeking sanctification she was the only regenerated person in the neighbourhood when the meetings began in all, over 200 people knelt at the altar, and most of them prayed through. It was not quite so hard to get them to go straight and hence to get through. It would be quite interesting to relate many of the unusual incidents. I want to stop there. What do we mean pray through? Well, what they mean is when you come to Jesus, you must pray through to victory. What do I mean? You must pray until you know your heart is entirely one with Jesus, and there are no more hindrances in your heart that would lead you astray and cause you to stumble in your walk with Jesus. It's directly tied to this passage of Scripture over here in Romans, Romans, the 12th chapter. I summon you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, well-pleasing to God, which is your spiritual Act of worship. And not to conform yourselves with this age, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you can prove what is good and well pleasing and the perfect will of God. So, what's he saying? The Apostle Paul in Romans 11 is identifying with that altar of burnt offering which was the first piece of furniture that you came to when you entered into the sanctuary area of that old tabernacle. And he's saying you have to lay your life down on that altar of burnt offering. You must be a living martyr, a living sacrifice for Jesus. Now here's the problem we face. Church has become so casual and so, so worldly that people believe in slick greasy easy grace all i have to do is come and say all right i'll i'll repent of my sins and and i'll accept jesus as my savior and the preacher says great you're saved great you're saved you're on your way to heaven no you're not you've just been vaccinated against jesus There must come a total crying out to God and a total surrender. This man, four hours or more, praying, repenting, lifting every issue before the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't want this in my life anymore. I don't want this this dirty language. I don't want this entertainment. I don't want, this wickedness in my heart anymore. I don't want this bitterness. I'm done with it. I don't want this cursing. I want to walk clean. And you stay there until the work's done. Desperate prayer to get clean before Jesus. And then we need to pray about, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? See, it's not just a matter of getting saved. It's a matter of getting saved and enrolling in the army of the Lord and being directed, this is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to go. This is your assignment. I prayed many hours for, what is my assignment, Lord? What do you want me to do? Well, I want you to go on the radio and I want to I want to have you preach repentance and holiness because I want to use you to help prepare the way of the Lord for his coming. Okay. And do it on the radio. Do it on the internet, okay? I will. That's what I'm doing. I'm obeying the word of the Lord that he directed me to do, even though it seems there's not much interest. It seems rather dead end. Everybody is interested in their own deal. Everybody's interested in making money and taking care of family and doing all the things that American people do, watching the videos and and watching the television and listening to their cell phone and reaping the harvest from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, Lord. I'll trust you. Take me by the hand and lead me. And he's done that. But I want to tell you it's not come easily. It's not come without a great deal of crying out to God. And now I know that revival is not going to come. And this radio broadcast will not be breathed on by the Holy Spirit until I've gotten very small and until I've prayed through and have the victory in Jesus. I know there are many people who should be coming and need to come but will not come Because I'm still too big. So I'm waiting on God. And he's making me smaller. He's, As G.C. Bevington puts it, let him put you on the lathe and trim you down until you're very small. Now, we're afraid of getting small because we think if we get small, somebody's going to come and take advantage of us. We're not going to have the money we need. We're not going to have the lifestyle. We're not going to have the car. We're not going to have the wife or the husband or the children. We're... Remember that old Robert Schuler saying, it was such a lie. If it's going to be, it's up to me. No, it's not up to me. It's up to God. And I've got to get small enough, humble enough, before Almighty God that he can afford to do what he wants to do to save the lost and the dying in Washington and in America. So my full-time work is doing what God tells me to do, step by step by step. It's not easy. Every month I I look at the income through the gifts and offerings that people send to pay for the radio and I say, Lord, it's impossible again. There's There's no way. We're still a long way from where we need to be to pay radio for this month, but I only have one answer. Wait before God. Humble my heart. Wait on the Lord. The greatest privilege I know is to wait before the creator of the world. To wait on Jesus. Now some of you have not been willing to wait on Jesus. You're about your business. You're doing the best you can do. You'll muddle through some way. It's suffering and it's hard, but you're going to muddle through. You'd rather muddle through than pray through. What are you willing to do to find the mind of God? Are you willing to search for the mind of God? Now, I can tell you, if you search for the mind of God, you will find it. But first, he's going to have to whittle you down on that lathe and get you humble enough and small enough that he can trust you with his direction and his word. I want God to be able to trust me. I want God to be able to trust you. But if necessary, we're going to have to be willing to pay whatever price we have to pay, take vacation time or do whatever we have to do to get on our face before God and find his will. Now next month, I'm going to take at the Lord's direction 10 days off radio. This is going to be a time for me to pray, to read the scripture, to get small before Almighty God because it's time for revival. And I know I'm going to have to have time to lay on my face before the Lord and listen to him. You may have to do that too. Oh, I know, there are other things you'd rather do with your vacation. Do you want the mind of God? Do you want Him to move in your behalf? Do you want a change in your life? Or do you want the same old, same old? If you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. That's a true statement. As I keep trusting the Lord, he keeps bringing the money to pay for this radio. As I cry out in prayer, he continues to carry me. Do you want to know the mind of God? Get on your face and begin to get small before him. Well, I'd love to hear from you. Write to me at Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or you're welcome to go to our website, nationalprayerchapel.com, You can give online. You can hear this broadcast again this evening when it's posted. Many other broadcasts that would be helpful. But I want to know, do you want the mind of God? And are you willing to get on your face and pray until you hear the mind of God? I love you, my brother and sister. I pray God will call you to the prayer closet whether it's in the woods or in a bedroom hear the call of God to pray we're entering a time of great distress in America you better be very clear about the mind of God before that strikes or you'll be left out God bless you I love you I'll talk to you soon
1: of His glory with great joy with great